On April 3rd, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech in Memphis that was actually dealing with a public workers strike. And as he proceeded through this speech, as he got toward the end of it, he began to address some threats that had made, been made on his life. And dealing with the fact that he, he was saying, I'm just, I'm not afraid to die. He says these words. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I don't know what you think about Dr. King. I'm not saying anything about the man's character or anything. But I'm telling you, that's a great speech. That is a powerful speech. And by the way, he was assassinated the next day. Kind of lends a little bit of a haunt to it even, doesn't it? To, to read those words, to hear those words, to say, I'm not afraid to die. And the next day he dies. These are his last public words. And you think of somebody's last public words, the last thing that they say. It's, uh, it kind of lends a little bit of credibility even almost to it. In 1 Chronicles 28, Scripture records for us some other famous last words, some last famous public words anyway. As King David is addressing his people, his leadership regarding Solomon, his son, building the temple. And this is, this is David's last recorded public speech. And in, the, in 1 Chronicles 28, the first few verses there, he gathers up all the leadership. He, and it says in the text that he gets all the military leaders, all the public, everybody, everybody who is in a position of authority. And he gathers them together and he tells them that I have four years I've wanted to build a, a temple for God. That, that, that was my plan. That's what I wanted to do. But God said I could not do that. 1 Chronicles 28 We'll pick up in verse 2. He said, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. It was in my heart to build a house as a resting place for the ark of the Lord's covenant, as a footstool for our God. I had made preparations to build, but God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel, verse 4, chose me out of all of my father's family to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah. As a leader and from the house of Judah, my father's family and from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over all of Israel. And out of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the Lord's kingdom over Israel. He said to me, your son Solomon is the one who is to build my house and, I, and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. 
I will establish his kingdom forever if he perseveres in keeping my commands and my ordinances as he is doing today. So now, King says, King David says, now in the sight of all people, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, observe and follow all of the commands of the Lord your God so that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your descendants forever. Already, I mean, just right there, that's, that's, that's a powerful speech. He's telling the people, here's what is going to happen. God has chosen my son. But I want us to focus now specifically on verse 9 and what he says to Solomon. And you can imagine this scene. This is probably not how I would imagine it. But you can imagine David making this speech to all this public, these, all this powerful people. And then David turns to his son in verse 9 and he says, As for you, Solomon... My son, know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. I want us to spend a little bit of time in verse 9 this morning. And as much as I hate to say this, I'm going to say it this way. I want to make some observations about some obligations that David lays on Solomon. And then we'll see the motivations for Solomon to fulfill these obligations. And then we'll see God's declarations as to what will happen, what Solomon can expect to deal with as he follows these obligations that God sets before him. Okay, that's, that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at those three ideas just from chapter 9, remembering that David's commission or his charge to Solomon is to build this temple. We're not going to deal with the temple specifically. I want us to look at just what Solomon or what David says to Solomon right here. Because what, I, what I think we need to see is the absolute timelessness of what, Sol what David says to Solomon here. And, and how this reflects on our need, on, how, on, on our absolute need to understand what God expects of us. How are we going to know what our will is for God's life? How are we going to... What I, what I want us to see is in this brief verse, we can see. We can see that God wants us to know what He expects of us. He's going to allow us to know what He expects of us. And I want us to see why it matters so very much. So let's look, first of all, using this, this text, using verse 9, let's look at this first obligation that David states for Solomon. He says very plainly, as he says, As for you, Solomon, my, my son, the first thing he says is know God. Know the God of your father. He's, he's saying this is absolutely important if you want to be successful. He's telling him, listen, I have been a great success as a king. I have done incredible things for the nation of Israel. But the reason I've been able to do that, Solomon, my son, is because of my relationship with God. And you need that too. You need to know who God is. You need to know God the Father. Nothing is more important than knowing God. I mean, and, and Scripture is so clear about that. This is one of those things that I, I think 
in, in a group like this, if I say I think the most important thing in life is to know God, I don't think anybody would raise their hand and go, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think we'd agree on that. But what I want us to see is the magnitude of this. What Scripture tells us is that not only is it a priority that we need to make of, of knowing God, that what we need to see is that God is not pleased when His people don't know Him. We see that all the way back in the prophet Hosea's day, right? Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, the first verse in that chapter, God says through Hosea, Hear the word of the Lord, the people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, there is no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Did those people know God? They knew who God was. What's he saying? You don't really know who God is. In fact, down in verse 6, he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, what was the problem with the people? It was idolatry. It was drifting in and out of a relationship with God. But God says the reason they did that is because they didn't know God. We see it all the way. You fast forward all the way into the New Testament. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1, the verse we looked at so many times during our lectureship last week. Romans 1, verses 18 through 20, where Paul says that God has shown you everything you need just in creation. Look around and, and, and you can know who God is. In fact, he ends that verse, that passage by saying, because if, if you say you don't know God, there is no excuse for you not knowing God. Just look at creation. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands day after day. They pour out speech night after night. They communicate knowledge, knowing who God is. He says creation itself, look around. That shows you some knowledge of who God is, or it should show you. But God also provides knowledge about who he is through revelation, right? Through the, through the written word. That we, we talked about that during our lectureship, about the incredible preservation of God's word down through the ages. But even beyond the revelation in the word, how about the revelation of the word? You know, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the old King James says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners in, in times past spake to us through the, spake to the fathers through the prophets. But now he says, but in these, in these days he speaks to us through his son. What he's saying, there was a time that God spoke to humanity through the prophets and they wrote it down and they told it to the people. But he says now in our day, God speaks to us through his son. That's that, that's what Russ was talking about in, in the communion talk. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and he created everything that's ever been created. And then you get down to verse 14. And what does it tell us? That, that word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Why? So we could know God. And that's awesome. I mean, that's, that, that's an amazing thing to think about. But why is that so important? Why is it so important for us to know who God is? Well, in, in the passage that Bud read for us, you think about Paul. You think about Paul prior to his conversion. You know, Paul was kind of a big deal. You know, when it came to Judaism, Paul was, he was an up-and-comer. You know, he was, he was the rising celebrity guy, it seems like. 
He was there at executions. He was, he was, I mean, he had these letters from high officials. He was persecuting the church. He was doing it all. And he, he says, I was a Jew among Jews. But in that passage that Bud read, what did he say? I don't consider that anything anymore. In fact, he says, the word he uses there, he says, I consider it dung. Just to tell you the truth. Why? He says, it doesn't even measure up to the surpassing excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul said, that's all I want, is I want to know who Jesus is. I want to know God better. I don't care about my, my Jewishness. I don't care about my Pharisaic background. He says, I, I put that all in the trash compared to knowing God. I want to know Jesus. And he says, it's, it, it, he calls it excellent. He calls it, it, it has surpassing value. Well, why does it have such value. When, what do we do to get that? I think to answer that, we have to, we have to make some, we have to define some specific, I don't know what that was, some specific things. Let's go with that. We have to define some things about knowledge of God. Okay, so number one, when you even think about what Paul says, this has to be a personal knowledge. Paul says, I want to know. I want to know God. Jesus can't be a friend of a friend. Jesus can't be this guy you know because somebody else is their friend. Husbands, I think sometimes we get in this thing where we think, our wife is very spiritual and I come to church with her, therefore I'm good. That's not how it works. Wives, you might find yourself in the same situation. My husband's a very spiritual, godly man, and I come to church with him pretty often, so I'm pretty good. That's not how it works. You have to know God. You have to know your Savior for yourself. You know, we, we even sing this song, The Faith of Our Fathers, and that's a great song. I get it. But listen, that faith of our fathers has got to become our faith. God doesn't have any spiritual grandkids. <laughs> we have to come to know God ourselves. You people right here, there's generations. I say generations. There's kids, young people who sat here before you that I lectured at over and over saying, make your faith your own. And sadly, some don't. Mom and dad's faith isn't going to get you to heaven. Mom and dad's faith isn't going to get you into, in, into life after high school. Might not get you through high school. You've got to grab faith and hang on to it. Right? Everybody else agree with that? That's the truth, isn't it? You're not going to live by mom and dad's faith once you get out in real life. Any of us. My wife is an incredibly faithful woman. That doesn't help me. It, it helps me. I, I learn about God. I learn about Jesus through my wife's example and some of the things I hear her talk about and things I know she reads and teaches. Doesn't, fix, doesn't make my relationship with God right. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Now, by the way, this is a guy who literally saw the resurrected Jesus. And he says, I consider everything I used to be garbage compared to knowing God better. So this knowledge that David's talking to Solomon about when he says, no, God, it's got to be a personal knowledge. But it also has to be an intelligent knowledge. He, he says that do this with a willing mind. This idea of an intelligent, you, you know, God doesn't expect us to follow blindly. Again, thinking back to our lectureship, we saw, we saw so much information. God has provided so much for us to rationally, intelligently look at evidence and decide, 
I know who God is. There is information that I can process, that I can come to know who God is. We can look at the evidence and we can know. So let me ask you a question. <clears throat> I don't even know who that is. That is a, it's a snapshot. I no, it's, you know who this is, right? How about this guy? Anybody, you know who this is? Please. Culture is destroyed. If no, no. <laughs> maybe it's a bad sign if they do know. I don't know. But yeah, you know who this is. How about this? You know who this guy is? Yeah, thank you. That's an honest man. We, we know who this is. And some of you guys, some of you think you know who this guy is. Do you know any of these people? You absolutely do not. Now, wait, I, now I say that. Some of you might have a really cool story that I don't know. Maybe you met Elvis or JFK or and you wrestled with Kellen Moore. I don't know. But by and large, I'm going to guess that none of you know these people. You don't, know, you don't know anything. I mean, you know some stuff about them, right? How about these two guys? Any of you know these two guys? You know these two, right? One of them, you might know one of them a little better than the other. But why do you know them? Because you've spent time with them. You've heard them talk. You, you, you know some of their likes. You know some of their dislikes. You know that if you, want to, if you can't think of a gift to give Richard, give him a sleeve of golf balls. He's happy. As long as they're, what are they, something, Pro-V somethings. I don't know what they're called. You know, if you want to have a good conversation with Jared, talk about top 40 music. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't do that. But see, I know that because you, we know these people because we've spent time with them. We've experienced them. We've heard from them. How do you know God? You spend time with him. You experience him and you hear from him. That's what David's telling Solomon. He's, he doesn't say, I want you to learn some stuff about God. He knows about God. He's heard about God his whole life. He's saying, I want you to know God. I want you to really know who God is and what he means in your life, what he means to humanity. So don't miss this, okay? Growing in a knowledge of God doesn't ever stop, for one thing. But it's absolutely essential to who we are. I mean, I, I, I have been in ministry for 20 years or whatever it is. And I, mean, I, I, I would say that I almost literally spend time in my Bible every day. And every, no, I won't say every, very often, I'll be reading through a scripture and go, wow. In class this morning, I looked at a verse that I've read a hundred times. And I went, hey, you know what that says? Because I'm coming to know God better. And it never, ever stops. And how do we, and listen, you, you had to see this coming. How do we get to know God? We've got to spend time in his word. There are books, there are movies, there's great stuff that you can find some stuff out about God. Don't trust all of it, okay? Trust this, though. This is where you will get to know God. And I don't, I don't mean mine necessarily, use your own. But in God's word, that's where we get to know who he is. And listen to me. I know that probably some of our smallest kids here could tell me some stories. 
You're going to know about David and Goliath. You're going to know about Daniel and lions. And you're going to know about Jesus walking on the water. I'm not telling you to get to know the stories. I'm telling you to get to know the author. The author and perfecter of our faith. Solomon says, listen, son, as for you, know the God of your father. We have got to come to know who God is. But he doesn't stop there. He says this doesn't just end up with head knowledge. Because what he then says, he says that you need to serve God. And he puts those two right together, doesn't he? He says, he says serve, the, you know the God of your father and serve him. What does he say? With all your heart, serve him wholeheartedly. Different translations use different phrases. Uh, New American Standard ESV both say whole heart. New King James says loyal heart. See, the thing is, what David is saying is that once we know God, we will be obliged. And I don't mean obligated like duty bound, but I do kind of mean that. But let's not think of it that way. I mean, we, when we come to know God and what he's done for us, our reaction should be, what do I do for you? What, what, what do I do to patient of how to know him is do it completely or don't do it at all. Be all in or all out because God says, I know, I know who you are anyway. Well, there's more to that idea and we'll come back to that. But when David tells Solomon, serve God with everything you have. Because God's going to know, God's going to know whether you're faking it anyway. The New International Version uses the expression, serve God with wholehearted devotion. See, this is the kind of service God expects of all of us. Of all of us. And see, God, God reveals himself to us through creation. We, we've discussed that. And, and, and I believe that, that there are times where as we're reading through scripture or as we're praying or as we're just going through life, there are times where doors open. That I believe it's providential, that, that God provides us with opportunity. We pray for opportunities, right? So can't we say that God provides them for us? Maybe we get a little nudge. Maybe we should send somebody a card. Maybe we think I should make a phone call. Maybe I should, maybe I should spend a little more time studying my Bible. Maybe I should reach out to my brother who I know is struggling. What do we do in those situations? Are we willing I mean, do, do, do we serve willing or, or, or are we a little reluctant? Do we kind of back off and go, well, there's a reason for that. I'm not going to do. That's, that's the idea. When, when David tells Solomon, serve wholeheartedly. He means when you see those opportunities, don't make an excuse to not do it. Figure out a way to, to get that service done. Because when we serve each other, we understand this, right? When we serve each other, who are we serving ultimately? We're serving God. So when we have those opportunities... When we have those chances, are, are we ready? Are we ready to serve God wholeheartedly with everything we are? David tells Solomon, know God and serve him with everything you have. And then he's going to provide the motivation for this. And, and again, we, we, we talked about this. We talked about this some. We've talked about this before even. But he has to have some sort of motivation to fulfill these obligations to know and serve God, right? So what David does is he's going to tell him, here's your primary motivation. It's the next phrase in verse 9. He says, because God knows you anyway. 
Now, again, part of that idea is, so why fake it? Because God knows whether you're faking it or not. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? I mean, yes, when we think about God knowing us, there's a little bit of that. Well, in fact, what, what does the verse say? How, how well does God know us? He says that he knows everything about you. He knows the intents of your, he knows what you're thinking before you think it. You know what's interesting? Solomon will say this again in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39. He says, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place and may you forgive, act and give to everyone according to all their ways since you know each heart. For you alone know every human heart. We know that Jesus, in his time here on the earth even, John chapter 2, verses 20, 24 and 25, says, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about, about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Revelation 2, 23 tells us he still is doing that. Jesus is searching your heart and your mind as you sit there and think about what you're having for lunch. Now, isn't that, isn't that weird to think about? You go, oh, I'm not thinking that. And God knows. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but he knows. He knows. The NIV also uses this expression. That God understands the intent of our thoughts. That's a little intrusive, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one way to think about it. That God knows me so well that he knows what I'm thinking before I think it. Or as I'm even processing the thought and putting it together. Now. In some ways, I admit that's a little bit frightening. But I believe what David is telling Solomon is think of this from the right way. He says, know God, serve God, because he knows everything about you. How is that supposed to be comforting to people who are sinful? Well, think of it like this. That God knows you God knows you so well. God knows you better than you know yourself. Literally. So because of that, we, we ought to be able to feel free to just take a deep breath and just say, God, it's all yours. All the anxieties, all my stresses, you know them all anyway. All my failings, Everything I'm bad at, you know it all anyway. So take it all. And, and we ought to be able just to tell God, I'm not going to get in the way. I'm not going to try and tell you how to, how to run my life. I'm going to just let you lead because you know what's best for me. Isn't that great to know that God knows every intent of your heart and your thought, and he loves you anyway? He loves you anyway. He knows how stressed out you are about work. He knows how anxious you are about your kids or your parents or whoever it is. And he cares. That's 1 Peter 5, 7, right? Do we really believe that? You know, that's one of those verses we throw out. Cast all your cares on God because he cares about you. Really? That's the great thing of knowing that God knows everything about us because we can just dump it all at his feet. And we can take a deep breath and step back from it. 
and just go on getting to know God better and serving Him and His people more. Because we don't have to manage everything, because God does. He says He knows everything about you. So let's just give in to His care. Let's just give in, give in to, and let Him have His way. We sing that song too, right? Let, let, let Him have His way with thee. Let's just let Him lead. Because he, he knows what we're doing anyway. And He knows what's best for us. And then David, as he wraps up this little announcement to Solomon, he's going to also make some declarations that really kind of underpin this entire thing. Know God. Serve God. He knows you anyway, so you might as well know him and serve him. And then he says some words that are a little challenging. He reminds him of some other words that are also very, very woven through Scripture. He says, the Lord searches all hearts, understands all the intents of the thoughts. And then he says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. This is, this is what should be the anchor for this whole thing. Know God. Serve Him. He knows everything about you anyway. And, and He has promised all through Scripture. 2 Chronicles 15, 2, Jeremiah 29, 13, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, James 4, 8 through 10. There's several verses. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 might be one of the most well-known. Where God says, And my people who bear my name... If they humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. That is a promise that if we look for God, he will be found. So we, we sometimes say, you know, I want to know God, but it's just so hard. The Bible, you ever tried to read Leviticus? I don't get any of that stuff. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to read through Revelation and try and grasp all that? I'd say, wait on that. Read that later. But people say it's so hard. It says he will be found. And, and it's not just in one verse. It's everywhere. God promises that if we seek him, we'll find it. Do you see how this all goes together? Really knowing God and really serving God is all wrapped up in really seeking after God. I mean, it, it all layers together. And God promises, if you look for me, you'll find me. So are we doing that? Are you really seeking after God? Again, it's got to go back to that, the first idea. Part of that's going to be, are you spending time in His Word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you really seeking to know Him? Or are you hoping to maybe bump into Him in this building? Because that's the only time you ever think about Him. Now, see, that's, that's hard to think about, but, I mean, that's, that's reality. Are we seeking to know God, or are we hoping to run into Him? God says, look for me, and you'll find me. Because then it, the tone changes in that verse. There's a sobering idea there. If you seek Him, He'll be found by you, but... If you abandon him, he'll reject you forever. God tells Isaiah, the prophet, and again, this is just as common as the idea of seek God and you'll find him is this idea. 
If you choose to leave God, if you choose to walk away from God, he'll allow you to do that. He tells Isaiah, Zion will be redeemed by justice, those who repent by righteousness. At the same time, both rebels and sinners will be broken, and those who abandon the Lord will perish. God's not going to force you to stay with him. If you choose to walk away from God, he'll let you. Now listen, he'll beg and he will plead and he will, he will do everything he can to get you to stay. He's done that throughout Scripture also. We see that throughout all the prophets. Those people were ridiculously disobedient. I almost said something else, but I better not. They were not smart people. I'll put it that way sometime. But God over and over and over sends prophets and tells them, I'm right here. If you'll just come look for me, I'm right here. But if you choose to walk away, if you choose to abandon me, I, I, I can't stop you from doing that. It breaks God's heart. I believe that. I believe it breaks God's heart when we walk away from him. But we're not robots. Part of that's our job, right? To make sure that people who make that choice to walk away, that we're the ones who go tackle them and do whatever we can to get them to come back. But God says, those who abandon the Lord will perish. And that's what David reminds Solomon, which is a little eerie, isn't it? I've made, I've made some remarkably stupid decisions in my life. I have made some terrible, terrible choices. I have, I, I've, I've found myself, I've been, found myself in sin that I, I couldn't believe I did this. I couldn't believe I got there. But I can't imagine walking away from God. I can't imagine choosing to abandon God. It, it, it's sad to think about. You know, it, it, it's sad to think how terrible that is that people would choose to walk through life and maybe even worse, to walk toward death without God. But God says, that's your choice. But don't forget that he said we don't have to do that. You don't have to drift around in the darkness. Have you ever, you ever got up in the middle of the night and it's so dark you have to kind of do this to try and find the light switch or try and not fall down the stairs like I almost did just then? Have you ever done that? God says, you don't have to do that with me. I'm right here. You don't have to paw around in the darkness trying to find God. He says, I am right here. What, what do we have to do? We have to seek him. We have to look for him. But even that, I mean, it's not that hard. And God makes it that way. He says, I'm right here. And you can come to know me. And you can come to figure out who I am. You don't have to abandon God. You don't have to walk away from God. God says, come look for me. I'm right here and I'll always be right here. I don't know. I don't know if David's words to Solomon ever came back to him. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation. I know I was. And I still have it. I, I, I was not a bright... <laughs> 
I'm going to say I was not a bright kid. I wasn't a bright young adult. I wasn't very smart from about 16 to about, when did I meet Carol? Probably 25. I got smarter then. But I did some really, really stupid things, and it really upset my parents. And I got a letter from my dad one time. And I don't know how it was in your house. You know, when, when, when my mom would get upset with us, this one, I, I hope they don't watch this. The, uh, I mean, it was like dad's at work type deal. Mom gets mad. When it was really bad, we got the old standard. You wait till your father gets home. Now, now my dad wasn't the come in the door, swinging the belt guy. He, he, that was not him. But it was worse, in my opinion. Because my dad, and I probably did it to my kids too. My, my dad would come into my bedroom and pull up a chair by my bed where I'm sitting and he'd just go, What happened today? And, I'm just, and I'd just be like, <laughs> you know? Because I hated having those dad talks. It's like, just spake me. <laughs> but I got one of those dad talks in a letter when I was probably 20 years old. I don't know how old I was. And, and I, I remember that. I, I still have that letter. Because it was my, it was my dad saying this. In different words. But I wonder if there was a point in Solomon's life where these words came back to him. Because I know 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings 11 verse 4 says, When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. That stinks, doesn't it? And, and, and like I said, I don't know if, if Solomon ever remembered these words. Part of me wants to say, well, look at Ecclesiastes. He snapped out of it. And that's kind of what I hope for Solomon. But you've heard these words this morning. I, like I said, I, I don't know if this ever came back and rang in, rang in Solomon's ears again, but I hope it's ringing in your ears this morning. Because you know now. If, if you didn't know this when you walked in, you know now. That God wants you to know Him with everything you are. To serve Him with everything you are. He wants, he wants you to know Him personally. He wants you to know Him intelligently. God's not afraid for you to look into figuring things out about Him. He wants you to serve Him with everything you have. He knows everything about you anyway, which can be a little sobering, but it also ought to be a great comfort that God's right there walking with you through those challenges in life and knowing how you feel about all those things. And now you know, if you didn't know before, you know that God says, seek me and, I'll, and, I'll, and you will find me. But you also know but he says, if you choose to walk away, that's on you. If, if we were to keep reading there in 1 Chronicles 28, and we'll wrap, up, wrap this up. In fact, 1 Chronicles 28 verse 10 says, this is how David ends this. Realize now, Solomon, that the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. 
I'll tell you this, tonight we're going to look at that verse in a little bit more detail. But listen, church, God has chosen us to build a house for Him. It's this. And, and, and God says, be strong and do it. How do we do that? We know Him. We serve Him. We understand that He knows everything we think. And we know that when we look for Him, we'll find Him. And He wants us to find Him. Our invitation to you is Jesus' invitation. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, who are tired of not knowing God, tired of not knowing what to do in life. All you who are weary and burdened, are you burdened? Man, everybody's burdened. And Jesus says, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke. And He says, learn from me. See, that's Jesus saying, come know me better. Come get to know me. Because I'm lowly and I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your soul. So our invitation is just that. You want to know God better? Let's, let's start today. Get out of his way. Let, let him lead your life. He says, I'm right there waiting. Maybe you're not a Christian. You're ready to begin that walk like Lexi did Wednesday night. Let us help with that this morning. Maybe you just want to start the process of knowing God better. You, you, you can deal with that right there where you are, or you can come up here and we can pray about it together. But whatever you're, however you do it, decide you're going to know God better. And you're going to serve Him. And you're going to seek Him with everything you have. Let Him lead your life. However you need to respond, you can do that now while we stand and sing. Have you been to Jesus?